Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. So excited to have Anne Brown joining us. She's the founder of Gazelle Global, um, which is a research operations business. We're going to talk a little bit about how to build an international business, um, what it was like to, to be a woman in business in the 90s, um, and also you know, what it means to be a global business when you're based uh, firmly in, in one country. And how are you doing? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel honored. Um, I'm doing well, but um, I think, wow, there's so much to say today because congratulations are in order. Uh, I just read last night that um, the Behringer Capital has uh, taken on a majority stake in Dig Insights. So this sounds so awesome. Um, Congratulations to you and to the whole team there. Um, I think it's very exciting. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. Yeah, no, we're very, very excited. Um, It's uh, been in the works for a while, but to be able to announce it and we've had so much positive feedback from everyone. So. Thank you, Anne. Um, I really appreciate it. I mean, I would I would love to, I'm going to give a very brief description of Gazelle Global um, just now, but I'd love to get the listeners a little bit more up to speed on a bit about you, like what your background is, and then a little bit about your business. Yes, yes. I'd, I'd, yeah, that's that'd be great. Great. So why don't you tell us? Yeah, so, you know, Gazelle was started in the mid-90s, actually the early 90s, um, and, it, and it was a really a niche business back then because we were started to, um, to provide op- the complete operation support to um, the insights community, which we just talked, we called, you know, full-service market research firms at the time. We now talk about them as the insights community, but back then we were really a niche business. Very, there was very little um very few firms did the kind of work that we did so um you know when we talk about um operations as a as a business we're talking about um everything that happens in between design and analysis so the parts of the business that we cover um global sample of course and what really differentiates us is that we uh we do global data collection in all methodologies so whatever happens to be appropriate for um, the area of the world that we're doing interviewing in, that's what we'll do. Um, programming and hosting, of course, data processing, coding, translations, all of that becomes a part of uh, the operations business when you're working globally. Awesome. Thank you for that. And you said Gazelle has been around since the early 90s. I mean, what made you start start a business? What were you up to before um, creating your own business? Well, I actually, I was on the operations team um, for a couple of different companies. Um, I called myself Old Yank because I was a part of um, a <laughs> research firm, Yankelovich, then Yankelovich, Skelly and White. And um, I was always on the operations side. And um, a client of ours actually proposed that uh, we start this business because they really didn't want to have operations as a part of their internal business. Because the reason being, and it, it still holds true today in, in many cases, it, it's costly 
for a firm to have an entire operations staff internally when there are ups and downs in the volume of our business. So it's mm. great when we're busy, when firms are busy, but when they're not, they're still paying those salaries. Whereas if you have an, a company that just does operations that works for you, you just use them when you need them. And when you don't, they're working for someone else. So um, it made a lot of sense then. And I think it still makes sense today. And is there anything about your business like within the, you know, the, the research operations space that's particularly unique, like the way that well, you're I structured think, or yeah, anything think, like that? Yeah, I think, you know, we're basically a white glove service. You know, we, we're really high touch. Um, I think that the, the fact that we do in-person interviewing all over the world still today really sets us apart from most everybody in terms of, um, we've been doing this since the mid nineties. So we, you know, we know how to get it done. And uh, I think a lot of people say they do it today, but I think there's really just a handful of people who can actually say that they, you know, might have a job in Singapore and um, maybe somewhere in the Middle East and another study in the five majors in Europe and, you know, all at the same time. I think, um, you know, that's kind of a rarity today. Yeah, I think when we chatted um, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that research operations, I, I'm going to misquote you, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher what you said, but um, I think you said something along the lines of it's not the most like glamorous part of of research, but it's probably the the most useful. Yeah. Like it's the it's the yeah. nuts and bolts it, of, of it is it, it's yes, it's the nuts and bolts of of all of the work that that um, is actually insights. Um, you know, we don't do the design and we don't do the analysis, but everything that comes in between, you know, all of that back office work, all of that interviewing, all of that programming, hosting, um, turning the data into readable results, all of that, you know, the translations, the, you know, the coding, the, the interpretation of, um, of open ends in other languages, all of that comes on the operations side. So, you know, we become a really good partner to research firms. You know, it's, it's the collaboration between the people who do the design and the people who do the analysis and the people who actually get the work done. It really is a collaboration. You know, it's a thoughtful process. So absolutely. Yeah. And what do you see? So you kind of mentioned that there are some firms that kind of say they do research ops. Um, maybe they're not doing it in in a way that's as effective as what you're doing. But like, what are those mistakes that people are making when it comes to research operations? And and I guess a, a double wear quest, double barrel question here. How would you recommend people rethink their approach to research operations if they are making those common mistakes? I mean, one of the things that I think is really important, and it, it's kind of a, a blunt statement, but I think people really need to face the fact that you get what you pay for. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's not, not, we're not looking, you, researchers, insights professionals shouldn't be looking for a bargain basement solution to a study that's going to have an effect on you know, the, the end client's decision-making, you know, they're, they're maybe going to launch a product. They're maybe going to um, change packaging. Maybe they're going to decide whether or not they're going to continue a certain drug. Maybe they're, you know, deciding how physicians are using um, certain medicines. You know, these are not 
decisions that should be taken lightly. So when you think about it in those terms, and then you think about the fact that people are looking for bargain basement prices half the time, you know, it's, it doesn't really correlate well. You know, I think mm. it's, I think the, the enormity of the, you know, a lot of weight is, is put on research firms to, um, give good feedback to end clients. And I think that they should, you know, there should be a, a, a strong um, reason to look for the quality of the product that they, you know, that that firms are providing. So I, I think that's the main thing. I, you know, I think people should be, you know, look to the way that um, people respond to an RF, you know, an RFQ. Is it just here's the price and walk away, or is is there thought? Is it a thoughtful response to the 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 proposed job? Um, I, you know, I, I, the other part of it is I, th I think that we have to face the fact that respondents are not a renewable resource. I think my friend Lisa Wielding Brown said that. I'll give her credit for it. Um, they're not. So we have to treat them with respect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these long surveys with, you know, attribute batteries that, you know, can make you cross your eyes, it, you know, is really difficult for respondents. And I think, you know, it's, we're still somewhat guilty of that. So, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about how studies are run these days, you know, longer jobs and they don't get the same, um, it's not as easy to, to process them anymore. So, you know, I think all of these things have to be taken into consideration when you're thinking about the operations process and who you're going to use to, um, you know, to provide this very valuable data um, that's going to go into your storytelling. So, yeah. yeah, I really like that um, <clears throat> that sentence, that phrase, like re respondents are not a renewable resource. Um, yeah, I love okay. it. I think Lisa, I'm pretty sure Lisa said that. Um, oh. You know, I, I keep quoting it because it's so cool that, yeah, they're not, you know, you, you, you just waste them because you're, you know, they're, they're in the middle of your survey, they're just going away because, you know, their eyes have been crossed by this battery of attributes that, you know, kind of has their eyes crossed. It, you know, it, you just, it, it's just not a good thing. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about how you mitigate against that? So um, within your survey design, for instance, like, or sorry, within any of your business, like what, what are you doing to mitigate we, against we're that? Telling, we're telling people in the bidding process that, you know, if you, if you're asking us to do a study that's like 25 minutes long, you're going to be in the field for a few weeks because it's going to be very difficult to get the number of completes that you want. So we're telling people that, you know, you really need to get this shorter, um, especially if you want, you know, if, if somebody wants 3000 respondents, don't send a questionnaire that's 20 minutes long because it's, right. it's going to be very difficult to, to do that. And, you know, we're also telling people, we're also trying to tell people to look at the, the makeup of their quotas. You know, do you, are you, do you have a good quota makeup? You know, mm -hmm. are you, are you, you know, are you sampling properly to get a good, a good view of, you know, perhaps some underserved populations? If you want to look at them, are you, you know, are you oversampling them? Because that's what you'll need to do. So, you know, that, that kind of thing, you know, there's a lot of, we're very collaborative. So 
you know, we're, we're not going to tell you that, um, oh yeah, you know, there's a facility in, you know, some teeny weeny place in some rural community when there isn't, you know, we're, and we're going to, we're going to tell you that if you, you know, if there are 50 hematologists in Finland, we're going to tell you, and you want 35, we're going to tell you it's not possible. You know, right. that's the kind of thing, you know, it, it has to be a collaborative approach. Um, and people have to understand that that's, we're not saying no, because we don't want to do it. We're saying no, because it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not feasible. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, I, I did want to chat a little bit about kind of you as a founder and what it was like as a female founder building a business in the 90s, um, because we got into kind of a, a fun tangent the last time we chatted. And I think the listeners would find it fascinating. So tell me what that was like um, being a woman it, building a business. It was crazy. It really was. You know, I, would to, I would go to a conference, you know, maybe with, you know, some peers, uh, some conference that somebody would have, you know, and I would look around the room and there were a hundred people there and there were five women. It, it was totally wow. ridiculous. And, and, you know, then there would be golf outings, you know, and all the guys would go off and play golf. And then, you know, I, I don't play golf. Maybe I should have learned, but I didn't, um, you know, and then, so the, it re- even big, massive conferences back in those days, you know, there were a lot of women who, um, you know, had were at the conference because they had research roles. But when you really looked around at who was running the companies, it was it was mostly men. And I, I think it's different today. You know, I think it's um, I mean, you know, there was Mrs. Schlesinger, uh, um, you know, who started that business. And, you know, she's one of the women heroes, actually, when you think about it, she started a, you know, a kitchen table business that's now grown into this enormous conglomerate. Um, And there were other women um, back in that day who did the same. Um, Shugal Research was run by women, you know, so that there are, you know, a lot of companies that um, were, had, were founded or run by women, but um, the majority of, of research business was, um, led by males. So it was, it was crazy. Wow. And did that change the way that you approached how to build the business or did that, um, have an impact, I guess, on your business's success? Like the, the fact that you were a woman leading it. Um, I just love to know, like, yeah, did that change the way that you, you approach the business in any way? I, I, I think it was, <laughs> It was a bit of a negative effect, actually, in the beginning. Okay. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, we really, I don't think that women, you know, we were always taken seriously. You know, I, mm. I don't think that, um, I, I think, that, you know, there was definitely a bit of discrimination in terms of um, working back in those days. Um, you know, but then again, there was wonderful opportunity, you know, because we're, you know, wherever there's a challenge, there's also opportunity. So, um, you know, I think Gazelle is, um, has a reputation for quality, for the quality of our product. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that. Um, my former partner, Harriet Natus and I, we, you know, that was one of the things that we were always, um, our thinking was always aligned in that, you know, we must, and, and I think, you know, actually, I think we had to work harder. 
and um, have a very superior product because we were women and, you know, to, to, to compete, I think we, you know, had to really elevate our, our game. And if we think about, you know, any women entrepreneurs now, I know you said it, it's, you know, it's changed the, the, Wonderful now. the research world and just in general entrepreneurship, it's changed in terms of representation. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more of that to come, hopefully, but would you have any advice for entrepreneurs that oh, are sure. women? Yes. I, um, we're, we're, we've been women owned, you know, since 2000. So we, um, We've also been a member of WBENC. Um, so, and I think that's helpful for people to know that we're women owned and we're certified women owned. You know, you have to go through this whole process, um, you know, where they look at your taxes and, you know, they might come to your office to make sure that, you know, you actually have a, a place in the right. office and you're not just a, you know, a figurehead or whatever. Um, but I think the other thing about, you know, for women today is that they should join WIRE. You know, that's the, that's the mm. you know, women in research, that's the, that's the thing to do because there is so much um, there for so many resources there. You know, there's mentorship, there's office hours uh, where they have, you know, basic icons in our industry that you can actually reach out to and ask, you know, ask for help. Um, there, there's um, just the collaboration of the group alone and the size of the group. I mean, I think it's maybe 12 years old or something like that now, but you know, it has members, members all over the world. And there are, there are meetups and um, virtual meetups and in-person meetups all around the world for you to meet, um, meet your peers, meet your colleagues um, and men are welcome. So it, it, I think that's the thing, you know, there's, there's opportunity now um, and there are resources now um, and it's more of a collaborative world today than it was back then. So I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, and I, and you, anyone who wants to start a business should reach out, you know, any female founders should reach out to wire to, um, to wire exec. Um, you can become a, a member of wire exec. You can post questions in our, um, in our chats, you know, people are always responding with helpful advice. Um, you know, I would say go to the meetings, meet your peers. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And so I guess in that sense, really what you're saying, because even if people who are listening aren't in the research industry, um, it's all about, you know, fostering that community of people that you can sort of lean on and learn from. Um, and that's what I've heard of, you know, I've spoken to, um, thinking of Katie, who was the founder of Toodaloo, which is a, a sustainable snacking brand. Um, like she, that was the main thing she mentioned as well, was she is based in Austin and there's this wonderful community of female entrepreneurs that she's able to kind of lean on and learn from. And I think that that's so wonderful. So it's a great piece of advice. Um, and WIRE, if you are in research is awesome. So do yeah, check it out. I think, I, think, I think that's the thing, you know, there's so, there are so many organizations now where women can um, reach out to their their peers and um, everybody's everybody's willing to help now you know what they say collaboration is the new competition so um, I, I think that's that's the thing you know you you just have to reach out for help because it's there and I don't for think sure. it was there I don't really think you know the throughout the years there have always been um, some 
um, some guys, some men in our industry who have always been willing to help. Um, and, you know, kudos to them. You know, you have to say that you can't just lump, you know, everyone together. And there have been many times when um, I've reached out and had the support of, of friends and colleagues in the industry. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's important as well. Um, but, you know, I think women in research is really helpful to female founders because if you're in research, of course. Yeah. And to make it to be very clear, we're definitely not saying that, like, you know, men, men are not helpful or anything like no, that. It's just, we're uh, not. No, no, no. Um, it's just about I think it's a different it's a it's a different world today also. You know, I think yeah. I think everybody has become more collaborative, you know, even when you get even if. Even in conferences now, you know, you see everybody's talking to everybody, um, everybody's reaching out, everybody's, you know, LinkedIn, everybody's congratulating people for, you know, making a new hire that's impressive or, you know, in, in the, in the, you know, in the case of, you know, the new um, funding that, you know, that you all are going to get, you'll see that, you know, there'll be hundreds of people will be responding yeah. on LinkedIn and sharing their congratulations, reaching out to you know, to your founders, it, it, it's a different world today. For sure. Okay. Um, I did want to speak a little bit about the fact that you are quite international in the way that you, um, in, in who you work with in terms of your global clients, but everyone in your team, everyone in your company is based in the U.S. Is that correct? Yes. Everyone in our team is in the U.S. Across and how the do you, US, yeah, have some people make that work? Um, you know, it isn't, I don't find it problematic, really. Um, we have a very, a very flexible team. I have people on both sides of the U.S., so, you know, East Coast and West Coast. So, um, you know, the ability to um, have conversations um, with Asia or Europe, it, it really never seems to be a problem. People just, you know, work their schedules and I, I don't... We don't really find and so, it to be an issue. So if it's not an issue, is it because you're, like, are you, now that, you know, uh, restrictions around COVID have, have lessened, like, are you traveling quite a bit? Has, are you completely virtual? Um, has that changed with COVID? Like, what was it like pre-COVID versus now in terms of the way that you're operating your, your business? Um, well, we're totally virtual now, which is a new thing. You know, it happened okay. um, as a result of COVID, but... Um, we just like it, you know, it's just, it's, it gives us so much more time to, so much more time in the day, not to have to spend three hours commuting. It, right. You think about it, it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, we had a great office, we had a huge conference room, but to be perfectly honest, I think I could count, you know, on one hand, clients that came up in the course of a year and I could still have lunch with them or do the same thing by just traveling in on those days. So it didn't, it doesn't really, it wasn't really making sense. Um, we have, you know, we have Zoom calls with the team um, on a regular basis, you know, several times a week, there are scheduling calls. So the team is included. I think, you know, some people have said it's really the democratization of the staffs because people who are, you know, I think, when we had an office, people who were not in the office probably felt like second-class citizens. Where now mm -hmm. everybody's the same. You know, I think I think that's helped really in some ways. 
Um, so I think it's I, I think it's fine for the team. I think it depends on the kind of business that you have, um, whether you need an office or not. I think if we had a lot of um, hired a bunch of interns or something like that, I think we would probably have a small office um, near the you know the person that they were working for, just so that they would have continuity of management and that kind of thing. But you know we have a we have a you know our team has you know a lot of a lot of experience and you know they work well in the roles that they have now which is um you know virtual yeah um and in terms of engagements with clients like it doesn't matter to them like you don't need to be you know as you said if you're working with someone from singapore like you don't need to be flying over there no you know back in the day i that was the part that i loved you know get on a right. plane hop, hop to brazil you know that's where we started our international business hop to brazil overnight, you know, start working there the next day, you know, have coffee, have the Brazilian coffee, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, while we were working down there, I was there many times. Um, but it, it isn't necessary anymore. And no one really wants that. No one wants to pay for travel. Um, you know, it's another one of those things that, um, you know, it becomes cost prohibitive in terms of, um, you know, the operations piece of a, of a job. I mean, if we needed to go, we would, but we haven't needed to go in a long time. I mean, the most mm. most of the travel now is to visit clients um, or to go to a conference. It's to, you right. know, to run a job really isn't, you know, it really doesn't need to be done anymore. Awesome. Sadly, sadly, <laughs> because I would like to be yeah. out there, you know, more, but yeah, no. Yeah, well, I guess now you'll just have to go on vacation. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in Toronto in for SMR coming up you know. Oh great. And, yeah, and your company's hometown. So yeah. Oh very we'll cool. Are you it. um when are you arriving? Sunday. Okay, very cool. Yeah, well we'll see you Sunday. there. Oh yeah, will you have, do you have a booth or will you just be attending? No, yeah, we've got a booth for upside. Oh, good. Um and we're sponsors as Dig, so we'll um we'll hopefully see you at the booth, and yeah, we'll be attending. Oh, definitely! Today. Yeah, I'll definitely stop by. That's so awesome. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, can't wait. All right, I'm conscious of time, and um, I'm just gonna run us through some quick questions that we ask every guest. Um, so as a founder, if you gained double your budget tomorrow, what would you spend it on? Oh, I would buy a company for sure. You know, I, I'm I'm very oh. entrepreneurial, you know, in my. Uh, I, I don't know how I got to be this way, but you know, the first thing that would come to my mind would be to buy something. Cool. What kind of company? Oh, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, I would definitely, it's something probably in the operations area. Um, I don't know exactly what, but yeah, for sure. Cool. And if you've lost half of your budget tomorrow, what would have to go? You know, we've had times where we had to pivot before. You know, not just during COVID. Um, 2008 was scary. Um, it was very scary after 9-11. Um, being in New York City, at, you know, at 9-11, I went to work the next day. It was very scary. Um, and work was really slow to come. Um, so we had to pivot. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we would have to, you know, tighten our belts and, you know, maybe let some people go. I don't know. Um, we've never had to do that. But um, we've always scraped through, you know, um, when times were, when we had those really difficult times, we've always managed to scrape through. Um, so I hope that we would, you know, have that same 
good fortune. Okay. And then finally, what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave the listeners with? Oh, you know, I, this industry has just given so, given me so much um, that I think the one piece of advice that I would give is to um, remember that there is, our respondents are human and to respect them in terms of the kind of surveys that we ask them and, you know, the thought that we put into the surveys and the length of the surveys, you know, quoting Lisa again, they're not a renewable resource. And, you know, we, I think we, you know, should take really good care of them. They're the livelihood of our business. Without respondents, we don't have anything. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anne. Um, I will see you at SMR. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for this. It's been wonderful. And I'm looking forward to that. I, you know, I'm so excited that you'll all be there. Amazing. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights. And don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.